You are listening to Satellite Sisters. This is our weekly recap of the CBS drama, Madam Secretary. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, with my sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. This episode was called The Seventh Floor. Julie, I'm going to go out onto a limb and say this was the best episode all year. I mean, yes. I loved it. Seventh, the Seventh Heaven, Leanne. I love this episode, okay? Excellent all the way around. Yeah. And then feeling the love on the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. Same, same feeling. Just like this is the episode we've been waiting for to connect all these personal stories with all the characters that we've come to know and like and respect to see a little bit of their behind the scenes life and to do it all with some great music, a great soundtrack this week, a great soundtrack. So uh, we had this big overarching story. Uh, that kind of illuminated the power of our institutions, like freedom of the press. But then we had these small, intimate scenes that really illuminated all the characters. And mm-hmm. I was a blubbering mess by the end. I don't know about you, but I just was really... That was a beautiful ending. A yeah. beautiful ending. Yes. Yeah. But let's just talk about the opening montage. Yes. There we got Blake with a Stephen Sondheim song from Company, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. And there's Blake. He's up. He's running. He has a cat. He calls his mom on the way to work. I mean, it was fantastic musical moment for Blake. It was, not- I, it was the best 15 minutes of television, Leanne, ever. <laughs> well, maybe that's a little strong, but it was one of the best. I I loved it, Leanne. I, I just, I just, it was like a dream come true because we have wanted to see more of Blake. We wanted Blake to have a big moment. But this made the most sense to see him sort of behind the scenes, to see all the things that he does. That seventh floor wouldn't operate without him, right? No, and it was all the things he does before he's standing at the elevator with the pastry for his boss. You know, that he's waking up at four, that he's doing all these things, that he gets her the special pastry. I love that he called his mom, you know, and then... then Or or at least he took his mother's call, you know, even if he didn't initiate the call. He didn't, you know, he didn't just let it go to voicemail like some sons I know. Okay. So that was very, very nice. And then he ended with the classic, love you, got to go by, you know, just (laughs) got to go by. It's a classic. It's a yeah. classic. We so, saw him styling his hair. He did a fine job there. You I know. know. So, and, and just he's looking so natty in his suits, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And the way he just waltzed into that bakery shop past the line of people just so to get the special muffin or whatever it was for his boss. I just loved it. I loved every second of that. And then the Sondheim music was fantastic in the background. Just a great opening. Great opening. Um all right, so let's. What we're going to do with this one, we're going to talk about the overarching story, but then we're going to break it down character by character because this was really sort of one story told through all all the main characters' eyes, and then we did get so much of their personal lives, which was so incredibly satisfying to see mm-hmm. like how that whole seventh floor operates. So the overarching storyline was all about freeing an American journalist from the Sudan. Uh, Colin was his name. He was in prison six years ago for a story that he wrote or may have written or was writing. And now it turns out he's dying with TB. And over the years, the Department of State has monitored his status, but they've really not been able to do anything because they don't pay for hostages and they don't really have an inn in the Sudan. And there are all kinds of sanctions there. And, you know, they're trying to figure out at the State Department, this new information, this tape, is this a play for the U.S. to relieve sanctions? Or is this just, you know, them trying to get a little press and 
embarrassed the U.S. And the storyline eventually leads to this kind of collusion between the Sudan and China on a specific, um, you know, on a specific topic. But uh, Madam Secretary and all the team has to work on this throughout the whole show. It pulls in all of their strengths and all of the things they're good at. So would that be fair to say that's the overarching arching that's, story? Yes. Line? And it's, again, it seems like it's ripped from the headlines because, of course, this week the UN uh, released a report that over a million children had to seek refuge in neighboring countries coming out of the Sudan. You know, there are five million people struggling for food on a daily basis. So once again, the show is focusing on an area of the world, a country that's, you know, that is in crisis, in dire straits, and telling it through the, uh, you know, this this sort of hostage situation, and just the complicated negotiations, who to believe, who not to believe, you know, what are the motives for the Chinese? Uh, does that sound familiar? Uh, because I think, you know, in real life, we're trying to test out, you know, the motives of the Chinese in other situations. So uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a great story. Um, so we get the policy end of it. We get the internal, you know, uh, how the mechanics work in the embassy. We get the human side with the parents and Nadine acting as kind of a, a go between be- between the two. So it was a good story. You also get the institutional importance of the press because it, yes. I heard I heard Condoleezza Rice. She's out with a new book this week talking right. about the value of freedom of the press, that we absolutely cannot take that for granted. It is one of the strengths of our American democracy. It's one of the strengths of democracies all over the country. So this was very much also ripped from the headlines, you know, uh, portraying the press as something that is necessary and heroic as we move forward. No matter what else happens, these institutions exactly. that we have are important. So, yeah. Great overarching story, but then we go back to the people. So Blake is the one that kicks this off because as he's cruising past another super attractive guy at the bakery, well-dressed, turns out to be a congressman's aide who tips him off like, hey, this journalist who's from the congressman's district, we're getting some missives, like he's dying, could we get him out? And this is a story that is really kind of beyond Blake's purview. This isn't really what he does. And it's full of all kinds of traps. We learned that the Africa desk has been working on this for six years and they know all about it, but there's not much they can do. But Blake just has to say something because it's important to him. Like he understands Yeah, I thought that was was very interesting because it would have been certainly legitimate for you know, the character of Blake to say, hey, sorry, I can't help you. Or you're going to have to go through normal channels. We can't do anything. You know, we have this policy of sanctions, so we can't really help. But he took a personal interest in it. He put himself out on it, you know, and he did it in sort of a clever Blake way, which I like to. Right. right. He goes down to this grumpy guy, Harriman. He is supposed to the special envoy to that part of the world and has been working on this is very territorial. And, you know, he he just shuts Blake down with the, this is beyond your clearance. And the next, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But, and you can understand Harriman's point of view. Like he does not want to be bothered by the, you know, somebody from the seventh floor, you know, here's this guy slugging away, trying to, you know, implement these, these, you know, these sanctions. And he is trying to, to save children as well. His, you know, his motivations were pure. He wasn't just territorial. Uh, so it was a tricky situation. I like that. Yeah. And then who does it, what does he do? He brings in Jay because it's not above Jay's clearance. So that was, <laughs> that was a cute little <laughs> good moment. Yeah. Good power move. So 
Blake, all throughout, fantastic show, great with the lines. And just one of my favorite scenes was the scene of um, Nadine and Blake going over MSEX logistics for the day. Like yes. her five-minute breakdowns, her 10-minute breakdowns. She's going to have a call before the call. You know, let's cut dinner short because this is not her people. These are Henry's people, and she hates the wife. So let's schedule a call at 8.30 p.m. so she only has to eat the main course and not dinner. I love that. I want a Blake. Don't you want a Blake? Absolutely. We all, we all I know. We, yeah, we all need a Blake. All right. So next up, the character is Nadine. You know, everybody had a good show. But yes. when Nadine is driving to work, Julie, what is the song playing on Nadine? Joni Mitchell. I, I mean, was that perfect or what? You know, I mean, of course she listens to Joni Mitchell. You know, we loved it. Yeah, because because. It's sort of Joni Mitchell is like grounding and ethereal. And as we learn, like Nadine knows everything and everybody. And yet she also has the confidence of everybody. So we see over the course of the episode, everybody comes to Nadine with their personal problems. Like everybody shares with Nadine because she keeps her mouth shut. You know, she has impeccable judgment. She's been there. She's seen that. And she's just supportive of people in a way that's not judgmental. So that was fantastic. So the Joni Mitchell, to me, a little unexpected. But then when you think about who Nadine is as a character, perfect choice. And, yeah. and totally her generation as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And your dog, Steffi, agrees with uh, with that permit. <laughs> yes. Well, she wants us to get to the Mike B scene. Because, okay. Because okay. That was fantastic. Okay. 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 No, no dog. I mean, Mike left the dog at home. Uh, he did not bring it uh, when he's lying on the couch in Nadine's office. Uh uh, but what do you think? Do you, uh, I mean, they apparently had an interlude on election night. Yeah, they had a hot and, one night stand. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so, uh, but Nadine has sort of been giving, giving Mike B the cold shoulder. He said, you're not returning my calls. And she said, you're right. You know, that was. I'm not returning not. your call. <laughs> I said, so like, I feel like you're not returning my calls. Why is that? She's like, because I'm not returning your calls. <laughs> Was a- That's the line we all wish we could come up with in that situation. Right. right. <laughs> so. She wasn't apologetic. She wasn't encouraging him. Uh, but I think Mike B has a chance. I think he's going to sort of find his way into Nadine's heart. Don't you think? Well, when he, first of all, he said, okay, it won't be the Mike B show. Let's just go out and I'll try to be normal, you know, yeah. because he yeah. is kind of a fixer and an agitator and a behind the scenes guy. And he's sort of always on. And Nadine just made it clear that that's not what she's looking for. And then he had that really good line about how fantastic she looked, right? I know. I know. I know. He was like whispering <laughs> sweet nothings in her ear, right? Yeah. Okay. That was effective. I Again, yes. very very straightforward, but when someone shows up at work and they don't really expect it, my God, you look great, you know. So, <laughs> very effective, boys. If you're if you're looking for a way into a woman's heart, it's gonna be yeah. pretty self evident. All right. So, but Nadine, you're right, Julie. She had the really difficult task of calling the parents in, the journalist parents. You know, they do clearly the State Department feels like they haven't been able to do enough. But as you said, they're setting it against the backdrop of civil war, child soldiers, famine relief, you know, these are, there are terrorists there. It's a terrorist hotbed. Like 
what is the value of one American journalist is kind of the question they set up when Sudan is facing all those questions. Is freedom of the press more or less important than getting rid of the child soldiers? And they're working on a sanction there that is, you know, it's two years into a five-year plan to, you know, stop the recruitment of child soldiers in the Sudan. So can we say that that is more or less important? And then she brings the family in, like she's done in so many shows before. I know, and she's really, she's just got just the perfect tone and pitch. I mean, I know she's acting and I know it's a script, (laughs) but it's, I just think about how difficult those conversations must be and, uh, you know, and that you do want to extend sympathy and empathy to the family, but you, you know, but there, there are lines that you can't cross, you know, that you still have to retain some, some level of professionalism about what you're able or not able to do. And the family was, you know, they had sort of had it. They were going to, they were not going to remain silent. You know, that hadn't really gotten their son out of the Sudan. So they were, they were threatening to do um, a big press conference and sort of blow open this whole, you know, this whole topic. And obviously the State Department, they wanted to work behind the scenes with the Chinese to see if they could get, um, get the release of this journalist. So, and Nadine does, you know, she rarely does this, but she raised the red flag and called in Madam Secretary. And in swoops Bess, who's just pitch perfect in the meeting, right? Hi, I'm Elizabeth. That's what she said. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. She didn't say, hi, I'm Secretary of State. You know, no, no. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. I know, I know. That's, that's great. You're really powerful. That's all you have to say. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Right. Yeah. It also okay. reminded me like that's a great example of two very high level women working together uh, at their strengths. You know, yeah. right? mm-hmm. you, you don't, uh, you, it's not like they're not warring. They're not conniving. They're not competing with each other. But those are two smart women working together uh, to get stuff done. Uh, but definitely kind of taking a female point of view on how to do that. So I, I like those scenes with the two of them because they're a good team. All right. Then whose story we're going to follow now? Daisy's. Daisy. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. She's, she's pregnant. Apparently she's pregnant in real life, the actress. So. Yes, that's I, I yes, I understand that. So uh so they wrote it into the script. Yeah. And she uh she presented it. She sort of told her coworkers and friends. Right. Sort of in a very, you know, well, at one point she's hurling into a garbage can. So I guess they they sort of figured that out. But she just was just told people she was pregnant. That was it. Right. Right. And and then we start to learn more about her backstory, that her fa- parents are, you know, as she said, church people, they're not going to be thrilled about this. And then we all know, but she doesn't really reveal it till the end that, of course, it's the spy and accounting's baby. It's yes. the, it's the yes. hot guy from Jane the Virgin. And yes. uh, so first of all, it's going to be a super attractive child. I think we- <laughs> yes. We're all happy about that. Yes. But- that's the father is gone. The father is dead. The father is someone that she didn't really know at all because he was living a double life. So that must be totally freaking her out. She's a career person in her thirties. This is not really the way she thought it was going to go. And I love the way it was just this very of matter of fact revealed to people. And then Uh all of her coworkers, you know, Jay was like, yeah, of course you're pregnant. I've seen it before. And you know, they devour your life. I liked when he (laughs) said, Nice comment. We're going to get, we're going to get to Jay's uh, parenting skills in just a minute, Leanne. Okay. (laughs) So 
you know, uh, but she had a really nice moment with former boyfriend, Matt. I thought that was yeah. a nice scene where he just said, I wish I was the dad. And I, I thought know. that was very sweet. Those are kind of grownups who have dealt with their re- romantic relationship in the past and found a way back to be like work friends and genuine friends. And then that great scene at the end with Elizabeth. I, right. So uh, right. she seemed the most nervous to actually tell Nadine because I thought, well, that's a weird way to say I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm going to need a month off in six <laughs> months. Oh, honey, you're going to need more than a month. But... I know. She doesn't know. I said, oh, whoa, that's not enough time. <laughs> you better go back. <laughs> but she's trying. She's trying to just hold it all together, do yeah. her job. So uh, maybe that explains why she had that wacky press conference in the last episode. Oh, or a couple yeah. Of yeah. So maybe it was just hormones or something but where uh, she was shoving that pastry into her mouth (laughs) can we talk about those stale pastries that are in the middle of the conference table okay (laughs) nobody i mean i i just don't think anyone should touch those i think they should stop ordering those they're not healthy and it's a waste of taxpayers money okay i've said it you know, I did. I do follow Blake on Twitter. Eric Bergen is the actor's name, and he confesses to occasionally eating the stale pastries. He confessed to that. Like sometimes when it's really been a long day, he eats them. So that made me laugh. So they're not. You know, you're right though, Julie. Should the taxpayers be paying for those pastries? I don't know. We didn't. Co- we didn't talk about it. So, uh, so Daisy, we're going to have to watch this, see what she does. That, that would be an interesting storyline to see the choices she makes. Um, and then, then we get to Matt who had, uh, I, I didn't think they were going to get to that. You know, they were pouring in a lot of personal stories as this whole story of the journalist evolved, but Elizabeth needs Matt to write a great speech, like to really write the kind of speech that is going to uh, just going to buoy the sympathy. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's, that's so, uh, TV that if, you know, wouldn't it be great if just one speech could really turn things around, if that's all we needed in life was a good song or a good speech, but I like it that that's, you know, that's, they have that in the episodes and it's always great when, when Bess gives a speech and I like, you know, I've come to like Matt better as a character because we we're seeing more of him. I think they're giving him sort of a little more to do in the show and he doesn't seem quite as nebbish as he used to be, right. you know, seems he seems like a, you know, more sensitive guy than I first thought he was. Yeah. So he has a personal theme song. I, I didn't know what that was, but it is a hip hop song that, you know, would seem counter to who his, who his character is. But that was fun to see. Okay. Put on his writing song. He's got to get ready to write. And then, of course, he comes up against writer's block, which actually I think are words that writers don't use. But it, it as a writer, I can say that because it's like you don't want to psych yourself out by saying those words out loud. Uh-huh. But it's a word that other people ask you about all the time. Yep. I get asked at every book signing I ever do. Do you get writer's block? And I'm like, I don't like to talk about it. I don't, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's like restless leg syndrome. I feel like uh-huh. if I see those ads a lot, I'm going to get you're, restless you're gonna, leg syndrome. Your leg is going to start twitching. Yes. Okay. So, okay. Um, but we see Matt really struggling with this speech that has this really high value that the literally like a man's life depends on it. This journalist 
life. He has to weave all the pieces of the story together. And as you said, Julie, write one speech that no pundit's going to say, well, that wasn't a good speech. No, he has to write the perfect speech. So he does exactly what real writers do. And of course, because the real writers wrote this episode, he goes out to talk to a few people. And that's, you know, you you have to outsource sometimes when you have writer's block, you read other people's things, you watch other people's things, you sort of gather media and then you figure it out. And, And whenever I just did a series of interviews for a magazine and whenever I'm interviewing someone and sometimes they say one thing and immediately in your brain you go, oh, that's the lead of that right there. Yeah. That line right there, that's the lead or this is the whole theme of this article or, you know, that's the million dollar quote. And so Matt went to the congressman's office who the journalist lives in his district and the congressman gave a great interview, kind of the curmudgeon, you know, started with the opposite and then turned it around. And I love that. And I loved what Matt did. He came right back to the office and wrote it down. So that's exactly what writers actually do. And he wrote uh, the speech of a career, basically. So, uh, all right, next we get to Jay. Now, Julie, what did you? Okay. Okay, Lane, I have to tell you, you know, I have an open concept house. So I had the TV on and, uh, but I had moved into the kitchen area where I can't really see the TV as well, but I can just hear it. And all of a sudden I hear this noise, like the J with the breathing. And I was like, is that J-A-Y having S-E-X? What is going on? Well, first of I, I all, rushed back to the screen. I could not believe that that is that that he in he, the middle of this a serious episode, Jay gets some action. Is that what you're saying? Yes, Leon. And so, I mean, thank God Jay had that life threatening kidnapping last week when he finally got a couch because he really needed that couch, didn't he? <laughs> I hadn't I mean, thought about that. Yes, it would have been really uncomfortable. But yes, they were pawing and clawing at each other. That was really. I, I just, I don't know about that, Leon. but uh, he, he's, <laughs> you sounded just like her mother when you said that. I don't know about that. Um, here's the thing. So Jay, you know, we know he's divorced now. Maybe it seemed like he was divorced in this episode. The divorce is being finalized. Like it's done. It's over. He's moved on. Uh, he's sharing some custody of his daughter. We even had Russell take a, take a swing at Jay and his marriage, which I thought was really kind of weird and insensitive. And then Russell apologized and said, oh, I'm sorry, since my heart attack, I just say things. And, and Russell had a moment where he reflected on, oh, how his second wife was really, you know, he didn't deserve her. She was so great. So that was nice. Jay was like, what, dude? <laughs> And then he's Mr. Know-it-all policy guy. So he pulls together all the stuff he needs to do for Sudan. He, you know, he, he does all the clearance he needs. He gets that going. And then in the middle of it, his mother-in-law shows up with the baby. Okay. Okay. Can I just say as, you know, as a grandmother, okay, that grandmother is no urban Nana. And if you don't know who urban Nana is, you can go listen to our satellite sister podcast. I mean, shows up with the baby in the stroller and she's complaining. Okay. Grandmothers don't do that. And it puts grandparents in a bad light. Okay. When we get a hold of those grandchildren, we do not want to give them back. We don't want to dump them off at the office. And then I thought it was very strange that Jay then has to take the child, Chloe, in the stroller to a reception so that he can hobnob with the Sudanese to find out what's really going on. And Chloe must be, she looks like she's 15, but she's still sitting in the stroller. I was like, how long? They're just going to leave that kid in that stroller? 
I mean, I've never seen a child sit in a stroller for that long. So, and what does Jay also do? Just when he has to really get down to brass tacks and negotiate uh, or find out the details with the the Sudanese um, embassy person, he just does what every parent does. He hands his iPhone to Chloe to keep her busy. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That is all true. And yet, somehow, at that reception, he meets a hot South American journalist who (laughs) – so – which I'm sure the working mothers watching were thinking, that never happens to me. Like if I no. brought a baby to work, I I would lose no. my job. And the last thing that would happen to me is that I would be propositioned by a hot South American journalist. But that is what happens to Jay. Like speaks a little Spanish and we learn, right. who knew, that his, his parents are from Venezuela. That uh, of, course, did... of course he has some international background. Of course he does. He he appears to have given up the L.L. Bean shirts. He had on sort of a snappier outfit, so maybe that's what attracted the hot South American um, journalist. I'm not sure. But, yeah, he was, he was, you know, as soon as I guess the word is out that he's eligible, uh, she made her move on him. Yeah, I mean, they're out to, for drinks and it starts to it starts to go south. And, of course, he starts to talk about, oh, how my grandmother warned me I shouldn't have married an American. And there's an awkward pause. And then there is no awkward pause. Then there is just the door just, slamming open. Just, I mean, that's when there's pawing and clawing and <laughs> heavy breathing. And texting and emailing in the middle of his, quote, meeting with the foreign press. So that, I thought, was probably pretty true. And he just runs right into Nadine's office the next day to disclose his uh, conversation with the foreign press that, you know, when she says, well, when did, how long did the meeting last? And he's like, well, it just ended. So wink, wink. Oh, yeah. He was, so Nadine gave him a little, you know, uh, two thumbs up there. And uh, he had a little sly smile going. But that's kind of embarrassing that, you know, you have to disclose disclose all of your encounters uh, to your boss. Could be awkward, Leanne. Well, is it as awkward as Daisy getting knocked up by the spy in accounting? Probably not. (laughs) On the scale of awkward workplace conversations. Yeah. That's, we were dating for a week. But Nadine seems to be handling it all. You're right, Leanne. She (laughs) is everyone's confidant. She just, she, you know, there was no judgment. Uh, In fact, she was positive. Uh, She gave him a little, you know, feels like maybe, maybe that will help some, I guess. All right. And then finally, Elizabeth kind of took a backseat to all her staff this Mm -hmm. week, but I think that was the point showing that they really are a team and that when things get solved, it's everyone executing at their highest level and that they all care and, and they all bring their own specialties and, and strengths to the group. And so she had a smaller role, but she's always the emotional center of the show. And uh, did she have a light bulb moment? Check. She did, Julie. She figured out the China Sudan connection. So yeah, she did that was it. Awesome. Does she have a professional demeanor at all times? Like check, you know, yes. that, you know, the meeting with the parents again, she was very professional there and perfect. She was personal, but you know, she, you know, she didn't become a sobbing mess as I would probably mean <laughs> <laughs> or, or when they're able to bring the journalist home and they're all oh, that was, the that was a great scene. That yeah, was a great he, scene. Right? That was that, that was, was really something. Yeah. And then, you know, but then when she had her conversation with Daisy about the pregnancy, again, she knows, she recognizes the sign, best boss ever, right? Check. Right? I mean she says it's a beautiful world and the best ride is about to start. You know? Great little Mother's Day gift to all of us as we uh move into Mother's Day week. That's and it's I, basically what you hope your your boss says when you when you confess, <laughs> which they never boss, would, which say. they never would say. 
No. So, so best boss ever moment. So great, you know, wonderful sort of backup role for Elizabeth. So even though she didn't, she didn't chew up the scenery like she does a lot of times in every scene. She was always there. And then at the end, when they're all standing together and the journalist gets off the plane, sobbing mess. I don't know what even yes. happened. I was just too busy crying over the freedom of the press. <laughs> the importance well, of the press. Yes, no, his parents, his wife ran to him, but his daughter, because she didn't really know her father that well, because he'd been in prison for so long, was sort of held back. And then, you know, he came to her and it was very touching. Yeah. So just, yeah. And all, all the team from the seventh floor was standing there. They had all had a part in his release and he was home and the press was whole and our institutions were in place. And, um, I was a sobbing mess. So super nice moment, super nice moment. Uh, anything else about the episode, Julie? No, Lynn, it was just all the way around. Uh, it was, I agree. It was one of the best episodes of the season without a doubt. Yep. Yeah. Super satisfying. Uh, all right. Binders full of blouses. I just have an RIP for Daisy's cute dresses. Now, now well, I, I'm encouraged. I think we're going to see some outstanding maternity wear, Lynn. Yeah. That's the way I think you've got to look at it. I mean, she, Daisy is not going to give up, you know, cute dresses just, just because she's pregnant. So, so I think we're going to see some really cute stuff there. I feel like we've been in a period with Bess where she just all work. You know, she hasn't been going to as many big receptions. And so we're not seeing some of the glamour outfits. Uh, she's really just been working on the seventh floor. She's doing teleconferences. She's in the situation room, you know, so we're seeing a lot of, you know, sort of just work clothes and not some of the um, out- other outstanding outfits that she wears. Okay. And next week we know we have to go back to the the doomsday cult. Oh, I so I, I don't know, maybe she'll be in some, you know, flack, like, <laughs> what is that gear they call it? Flack jacket. She'll be in a flack jacket or something. Some flack. Body armor? Body armor. Make body armor look good? Perhaps, Liam. So many layers. She can layer so many things. Uh, But then just shout out to Blake's natty suits. I'm glad he got a close-up in that opening. We saw how carefully he grooms and how impeccably he dresses himself in the morning. So binders full of blouses. Shout out to Blake and his natty suits. It was a good one this week, Leanne. So uh, I might just rewatch that opening scene again. It was I did. Re- yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I watched it a couple of times. Fantastic. All right. Anything else, Jewel? That's it, Leanne. A good week here. All right. Over on the regular Satellite Sisters podcast we're posting today, uh, you can hear our sister Liz was at a speech recently with Janet Yellen. So we, we cover that. And also we have some Tuesday trends that are not nearly as important or highbrow. <laughs> no. And then we do some hodgepodge because I believe you, you mentioned butt glitter in butt the glitter. same episode yeah. that we're talking about 150 years of economic history. So it's quite a range on that, on our show. <laughs> you can find it at iTunes, Stitcher, or at SatelliteSisters.com. All right, Jill, have a great week. You too, Leanne. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. 